0: Today marks 24 years since we lost Phil Xiao. Fucking love you, Phil. This episode's dedicated to you. This is Schmitty with another episode of Talkin' Schmidt. and today it's not just another episode. We got Jason Adams, episode 170, and my first episode in person since the pandemic. Driving down to San Jose right now, fired up.
1: Head on down to your local shop. Ask your needs.
2: Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate,
0: 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy.
3: Jason Adams here, and you are tuned in to Talking Schmidt.
1: Holy cannoli It's cool, like tonight is the night <laughs>
2: yeah
1: All oh, big dogs in Do we really want to be here? Everything changed We
0: on?
2: Talking Schmidt.
0: Talking Schmidt! dude <laughs> You gonna come out different <laughs> Shit my pants, man
2: Your Rolodex is fucking deep Holy shit What right. not the one
0: The one, the one Who is this guy thinks he's tough shit?
3: What's up?
2: Come on, Schmitty,
3: what the fuck? Tell the skateboard police to come get me What is happening?
2: I'm here for Greg Smith, yeah! Hello,
0: hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This is Schmitty with Talking Schmidt, and we are live in the studio of my next guest. This is my first in person podcast since the pandemic, so stick with me on this. Uh, we got a good one today. This is episode 170. And we got Jason Adams with us. What's up?
3: Hello, Schmitty. <laughs> hello, hello, hello.
0: How are you?
3: I'm doing fantastic.
0: Good. Um, stoked to do this. Me too. Uh, I'm really curious. What I want to hear mostly about is the old days. OK. I want to hear about Jason Adams as a little kid, getting the nickname The Kid, having like the first stoke on a skateboard. Like, some of these early moments for you. You were born and raised in the 408?
3: Pretty much. I was actually born in Connecticut. New London, Connecticut. New London, all right. Along with Donnie Barley and... um, I think me, Donnie Barley, and Brian Anderson were all from the same town. Like, born in the same hospital or something.
0: Shout out to Tim Upson. Shout out.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, But, yeah, but my parents moved back here when I was, like, Two and a half or something, they were from here, Mm. and um, so yeah, I've been here ever since for the most part.
0: So you got your first skateboard here,
3: yeah, for sure.
0: What was the uh, scenario? Was there kids at school? Was it Christmas present? I
3: always, I always liked skateboarding from a young age. Like I remember when my sister was born, my grandpa bought me a little plastic board because I saw skateboarding on TV. I think it was 1977. But you know, that's not getting into skateboarding. And then my whole childhood growing up, I always would see the skaters, you know, in the in the 80s just like, fuck, that's so fucking cool. You know, with the big boards and shit. I was just like, I gotta get one of those. But like, it's not like now kids go, mom, I want a fucking skateboard. It's like tough shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't get like a real skateboard until I was just before I turned 13. And I think that's the age that everybody kind of gets that that point like what am i doing with myself and what am i trying to find yourself or whatever so i finally like sold a bunch of shit in a garage sale my parents had a garage sale and i sold a bunch of shit and um i bought a it wasn't even a good board it was like an action sports kamikaze or something like that but it was a wide board with urethane wheels with closed bearing closed bearings you know with copy tracker trucks and um that's and then that that was it that was it
0: what was uh For me and my friends, when we first got bored, we lived across the street from a school, and we would go to the school, we'd climb over the fence on the weekends, and they had these smooth um, hallways, and they were kind of on a slope, Mm -hmm. and we would just push our ass, go as fast as we could, and we would learn layback slides. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that was the first uh, example of me getting rad, Mm -hmm. if you want to call it that. Uh, What do you remember?
3: Well, I remember I grew up right by this parking lot, Alpha Beta grocery store. So I'd go there with my mom or I'd ride my bike there to get milk for my mom or whatever. You know, it's just the local, really close to my house. And that's where the skaters hung out. Mm. So I would go there and just w- kind of watch them, you know, and, and just kind of watch. And then that really pushed me to want to get into it, you know. So I finally got that board and I just would skate in front of my house. I waxed the curb because I, know, I saw them. I saw what they did, you know what I mean? They were hitting the curbs front of the liquor store at Alpha Beta. And uh, so I just went home and waxed my curb and tried to learn the boneless. I would would watch them do like those things like go up the wall with your hand on the ground and shit like that. Hazards. Yeah, hazards, all that kind of stuff. And so I would just kind of go over there and watch them and then go back to my, in the front, in in my little court that I lived in. And um, I remember the first thing I ever learned, I put my hand, I saw someone do it at Alpha Beta, put my hand on the ground Grabbed the nose and just kind of got my back truck backside up on the curb. That was the first kind of trick I learned. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it didn't take me long till I kind of integrated into that crew of people at Alpha Beta. You know.
0: Was there anybody in that crew that still like that you learned later?
3: Solomon was one of the dudes in the crew. Really? Yeah. yeah. So um, I didn't realize it was like kind of a heavy little thing going on there. But I mean, that, that was still when Solomon and all those guys were, were still young in high school, you know. Yeah. But then after hanging out there and starting to learn what was going on, it was like, oh, okay, that's Mike Persenko. He was sponsored by Santa Cruz. That's Joe Conti. He's like Cabs right hand. And Caballero would show up here and there, you know, that kind of stuff. Cool. So it kind of... I went from just being a little grommet then kind of meeting those guys and then I had a crew of friends But for some reason those guys liked me for whatever reason and they didn't give me shit You know, they would kind of give my friends shit, you know, and uh, I just kind of integrated into there and in with them
0: What was Solomon where was he living Saratoga?
3: No, we lived in Almaden like Solomon lived like a, not even a mile from oh. from where I lived and it was like he lived here I lived here Alpha Beta was here and then his dad owned a restaurant bakery in that same shopping center. The whole world revolved about around Alpha Beta Shopping Center. It was like people there all the time. I would just open my window from my room and listen. Oh, I could hear him skating. I'm going, you know. And it was like back then in like the eight, like it was back like a movie where kids could take over a fucking supermarket parking lot. Sometimes you go there, there's like, 30 people there, there's music, there's chicks hanging out, you know what I mean, there's like jump ramps, rail slide bars, and it just was like owning, they just owned the fucking shopping center. Mm. Um, that was what was going on, you know, and like I said, I would see these sponsored diets come, and so I was kind of around all that stuff from an early age.
0: Was uh, there, was Go skate around, Was what was yeah. the skate job, it was before Sessions, right?
3: No, Sessions was going on, oh. but Sessions was all the way in Sunnyvale. Okay. But, I mean, everyone knew about Sessions. Like, Sessions was the coolest thing in town because, like, they had, like, that crazy team. Caballero and, like, yeah. Chris Miller and, like, all the good guys rode for Sessions. Yeah. But my shop was Grimmick in Los Gatos. Oh, Grimmick, yeah. But Ghostgate was closer, so it was, like, Ghostgate Grimmick. But I was more... became friends with the Grimmick crew. Oh. And there was also Winchester, which was Simon Woodstock's shop, uh-huh. which is really close to here. And, um... That I actually ended up getting sponsored by Winchester. That was my first.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Okay. So you m- knew Simon pretty early on. I
3: I met him through Winchester, because Solomon got sponsored by Winchester, so I started. And Solomon, I would just Solomon drove during this one time, you know, like in our, he was had a car at sixteen. So uh-huh. I just became. I've talked about this before, like his little sidekick, you yeah. know, because he was fully mature and grown, and I was just this five foot tall little shy kid, you know, awkward, shy kid. Um, and, uh, so he'd be like, we're going to hang out with the Winchester guys. Okay. You know, we're going to skate the, we're going to skate the warehouse. Well, what's that? Okay. You know, like I knew nothing and Solomon knew everything.
0: Uh, what was the first skate park you remember going to? Derby. Really?
3: Yeah. It was the only one around. Uh Uh-huh. So we'd, I remember riding like we'd pack in this one dude's little pickup truck you know like five dudes in the back of a pickup truck going over the hill to go skate derby my mom actually i think the first time i went my mom took me when i was 13.
0: really yeah do you remember like like pulling up and seeing oh dude terrified oh was there big sessions
3: huge sessions and this is you know going back to like how things were then it was like no one gave you the right of way being a little kid You kind of went there and you were lucky to get a run in, you know, like it was like, and you would go and really big on the dish, it said like, San Jose, go home. You know, it was like, once again, I've said it before, like an 80s movie, it was like, fuck you valleys, get the, go, get the fuck out of our fucking, get off our waves, basically. (laughs) So yeah, it was extremely intimidating, but as a kid, I never felt discouraged You know like i was like this is how it is i gotta learn to get in there that's how it was it was like oh mom they're not letting me skate like you hear you see now it's like all right i just gotta learn i gotta watch what they do i gotta hear how it goes i gotta figure out how to you know get in and there and you know and um so i was never really frustrated it was just like this is how it is i gotta learn how to deal with this
0: do you think like i mean obviously right that Mm, blending with Sol- well, Solomon's early, but cab and having some of these peers that are just cabs already cab, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so being associated with those guys must have helped a lot with your, confidence. yeah.
3: But we're kind of mixing up because you know, when you're at that age from 13 to 16 is like 10 years now, right? So, I'm talking about going to Derby when I'm 13, to where starting to skate with Solomon when I'm 14. And then starting to skate with Cab when I'm like 15, 16. Okay. So there's like a span of time in there to where you go from a grommet and it seems like a lifetime, but it's a fucking year, you know? So, um, yeah, definitely like just being with Solomon was, was easy. It was like he, he knew where, where to go, he knew when to go, and people were scared of him. You know, it was like, and I'm with Solomon, so I didn't have to deal with anything. I was spoiled rotten my whole time coming up in skateboarding. Totally spoiled. It was just landed in my lap, you know.
0: Okay. The first, I mean, you said the first sponsor was the shop sponsor, Winchester, Mm -hmm. but what about, like, product-wise? Venture. Venture trucks? Yeah. Keith Cochran or?
3: Greg, it was right when Greg Carroll took the job. Like, I met Greg Carroll. Mm. And like literally like a month later, he got the job as venture team manager. Wow. So once again it was just like I meet the Carroll brothers. So I go from San Jose and then getting sponsored by Venture and meeting the Carroll's brothers and just then being accepted into San Francisco. You know what I mean? It was just like just Did you go to
0: EMB?
3: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I it
0: didn't get vibe doing no, it. No, not at all.
3: Everyone was Dude, I showed up with Mike Carol and Greg Carol, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the first time I'd skated EMB, it was with Thebo, Guerrero, uh, obviously I remember that. It might have been like Arco, and you know what I mean? It was like, and Solomon, so it was like, first time going there, I'm with the mayors and the fucking governor and shit, you know what right. I mean? So I was just instantly accepted.
0: So is that, what are we talking about, 17, 18? 17, 16, 17. Okay, and then the relationship with Greg and Venture.
3: So I know. got on Venture and then like, right after that, I got on Santa Cruz. Oh. And mm-hmm. um, I was on Santa Cruz just for a little bit. And then um, I actually had the opportunity to escape for Powell. Santa Cruz was always my favorite company. So I was like, I'm, I'm sick with Santa Cruz. But then Greg and Keith started Think, and then I just thought that was a good opportunity because it was brand new and like literally I would like call Santa Cruz and Gavin would be like, "Which Jason are you?" (laughs) You know, it's like there was like five Jasons on the team, and I was like, "Well, I'm just one of many here, and I'd be like one of the first over here." Uh Somehow at 17, I I knew enough to know that would be a good thing to do, so I got on Think. That's Gavin O'Brien. Gavin
0: O'Brien, yeah. He was like TM. He's a time. TM, yeah. Oh shit! And Corey's pro already.
3: Corey was pretty much on his way, way out. out. Okay. That was during that because you know that was ninety. Ninety.
0: Okay.
3: Probably.
2: Yep.
3: And um, so it was when the vert was doing this and all of its little shits were doing this. The streets
0: kind of yeah. exploding, yeah. little wheels. So
3: that Santa Cruz there. was just like, we need street young street guys. The, they didn't even Gavin had no idea who the fuck I was. He just went to Solomon and was like We need young street kids and Solomon was like my friend Jason. He goes have him call me it Was that easy?
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah uh, So what's Who's on think when you get on think?
3: Um, it was basically in the beginning. It was me and the missing children. So it was me Mindoli, Nick Lockman Sam Smythe, shout out, Carl Watson, shout out, and then Mike Kepper wasn't too long after that and he had like the first pro board Mm. and then Ronnie Bertino got on and then um like Toland yeah it started to grow i don't remember everyone's name but that i remember right in the core of it it was the missing children and like me and that was the, the the beginning of think
0: oh man I can't even imagine like that. Like, is Greg in full rave mode at that time?
3: They're in full rave mode, him and Keith. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: okay. You got uh, a first uh, tour or something? Tolan told me about an early mission to Oregon where Cardiel yeah. was driving.
3: Yep, the first. Tr- it was right like it. It was literally like the week after I graduated high school. We went to like an NSA whatever, preliminaries or something in Corvallis, Oregon. And so when Think started, it was, like, out of Dogtown and Print Time.
0: So where was it? Was it on the shipyards?
3: It was on the same street as Thrasher. Oh, okay. You know where Print Time was way back then? Yeah. And then Dogtown had an office and their product. So, like, the first boards I got were, like, blank Dogtown boards with the Think T-shirt screen on it. And I would call Red Dog to get shit. You know, it was, like... Just intertwined. Mm. Um, so yeah, the first trip I went on was to Oregon with Toland. That's when I met Cardiel, and it was in the Dogtown van. So it was like Dogtown guys and Think guys, and yeah, that was my first taste of like getting in the van and hitting the road.
0: What were some of the highlights uh, of that trip?
3: Meeting Cardiel, hands down. You know, chewing tobacco. Chewing tobacco, and I didn't really drink at the t- I I think I started drinking beer on that trip. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but I was into smoking weed at the time and Cardiel smoked weed. So we kind of bonded over the weed thing, you know, and, um, I had this horrible dirt weed and this stupid homemade bomb and he had this killer green weed and he seemed like a million years older than me, but we're like the same age. But, um, so yeah, meeting Cardiel, watching him skate was the high, definitely the fucking highlight. And every day after, after whatever skating, he would always come back and he would like be smoking joints with people and he would come into my hotel room and take his hat and he had all the, all the roaches in his hat, like, and then we'd use my shitty little bong whatever. I don't know if we're supposed to be talking about this shit, but, yeah, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, that was definitely the highlight.
1: I remember that shit.
3: Um, and then just the whole experience of like being in a van, going to a contest and then everyone that was there, you know, it was like all the up and comers that were still amateur at the time, you know? was there everyone was there
0: you know? okay did you know tim yet tim Brock?
3: yeah okay. i knew tim just from being around here and like running into each other and we'd link up and skate here and there um he was probably there i'm sure he was there with new deal at the time uh-huh. but we hadn't really like connected like to where we're skating every day and then living together quite yet okay that was coming with sma okay
0: What's the vibe? What What do you remember about like NorCal and the Bay Area and just all the different little, like you said, Santa Cruz is like get the fuck out of here, San Jose. But like, would you go into SAC and see their scene? Go up to SF, see their scene. So
3: I, we didn't make it to SAC a lot, but so I always knew there was a disconnect between San Jose and and San Francisco, and even though early on there was a disconnect with sent like or like a vibe between valleys and the the beach people in Santa Cruz. Once you got to a certain level then like that was cool with with Santa Cruz, but there was always a special connection between Sacramento and San Jose. Like there was some there were so many people like when I started going downtown and hanging out downtown, people that were from Sacto that moved here. Yeah. You know, like JJ isn't from Sacto, but he was kind of from that thing, you know, that area and um mm. So, and there was, this, then when I learned about things, there was always like SACTO and San Jose got along. And they kind of had that same kind of punk rock, aggressive, slappy, you know, if you're going to do a Smith grind, you do a fucking Smith grind. If you do a disaster, you do a fucking disaster, you know. If you're going to do a rock and roll, you fucking make some fucking noise. You know, it had that, they had this, we had the same attitude, you know. Right. They they would say the only thing, only difference between San Jose skaters and Sacramento skaters is, like, San Jose wears, like, pe- or pe- peg black jeans and Sacramento wears peg blue jeans, you know? Yeah. It's, like, that was kind of, like, what was going on. Okay.
0: Who was the biggest influence on you for, from San Jose to kind of steer you in that direction? Like, do it with authority, go fast, all that shit, like, style?
3: It stemmed from, like the o'brien kind of crew the 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 people the 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 guys just older than me like the mike prosenkos joe conti's um corey o'brien and then there was a huge sacto influence too because i would hear stories about the dudes from sacta so it's like rick windsor and like ross goodman you know when i was a little kid it was all about Hosoys and caballeros and shit like that and then i got to an age and i started being like Windsor and Ross Goodman and Shout like out Brian Ferdinand and like these kind of underground like kind of aggressive punk stylish kind of dudes, and I was like, "Fuck, yeah, and then like the way, learning about Wade L and stuff like that, and Tom Knox and Eric Dressen were like to this day we're like my all-time favorites okay. you know like that that's that's what influenced me overall is like Tom Knox and Eric Dressen, that combination because. They were progressive, total street skaters, but they skated vert, they skated pools, many. Are, they did it all well, and that, to me, that's what was rad. You right. know, um and I, I never really left that even in the early '90s. But I'm getting off subject now. But it that's that's what Tom Knox and Eric Dressing were the biggest influence for, okay. for sure.
0: I'm not afraid to bounce all around too. Okay, Everything cool. It doesn't have to be in unison, perfect, and stuff. Because, like, my next question from just talking to you and what I my first reaction is Mm -hmm. like where's crazy Eddie like where does he fall into this
3: um I met crazy Eddie I think I was 15 just barely 15 and um when they built this highway 85 right here Uh um they pretty much kicked a bunch of people out of their houses and uh so there were some pools going on yep and uh we were skating these pools and Eddie showed up one day and and just blew my fucking mind. Because <laughs> he just came in all crazy. He's like, we just stole Vivarin from whatever, Payless or something. So they're all like speeded up on eating Vibrin. And like, he just speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, I was like, who the fuck for one steals Vibrin and just fucking eats a bunch? Like, like, who is this guy?
0: Like, who sent you?
3: And he got in the pool and he was so sketchy. And he just instantly, like, one of the first things he did, he jumped on his board backwards and, like, went up the wall and put his back foot up. I'm just like, who the fuck is this guy?
0: Was he already Crazy Eddie? Or did- no,
3: he wasn't deemed Crazy Eddie yet. But I just met him there, and I might have run into him somewhere again, and we just started skating together. It was just like, I just loved his energy and his attitude and... Um, so yeah, basically the first time I met him when I was fifteen, it just okay. that was it.
0: And later he was living under the stairs or something.
3: He was living on my couch or under the stairs or in and out or whatever all the time. He kind of became our kid when we got older, and because he never really had anything or any, you know, he was just crazy Eddie and yeah, pretty much pay for him and cart him around and do whatever, you know.
0: Crabtree. I talked to Mike, and he was like, "Ask him about, uh, I think it was a scarecrow trip where you guys did like a 40 day sobriety with Eddie or something." You, him, and
3: no, Eddie. The hell, no, Eddie no, was it?
0: Eddie wasn't sober, but you and uh, Crabtree. Yeah.
3: Team. Yep. Yep. We did. We did a crazy road trip across the United States and back. And yeah, I just was probably coming off a winter of just partying. That was pretty much my my. What I would do, I would just party like crazy in the winter. Springtime, I'd get sick and tired of it, go on a crazy skate mission, like go full bore and not drink. And then summer comes, and then I get summer fever, and then start partying again. <laughs> so, yeah, that, we, we didn't drink.
0: What's, what's the Daniel He has? Remember
3: oh, that's Denny's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from Reap's.
0: Who gets credited? When do you start becoming the kid?
3: Okay, so me and Tim and Karina and Jai got an apartment downtown San Jose. I think I was 19 at the time. Me and Tim rode for SMA. And at that time, me and Tim were, that's when we just, every day, it was just, it became me and Tim all the time.
0: It was mid 90s.
3: This is still early. This is like 93. Okay. Something like that. That's when I met you. Yeah, probably. So then. I was even 21, I started hanging out. There was this bar downtown called the Red Light District, and we found out you could be underage and um, get in and drink, you know. And at, at one point we moved in there, Reeps and Corey came by our apartment to, like, go, oh, I heard this is where the kids moved in or whatever. They were, like, curious or whatever. And um, so I started, I went out to Red Light one night, and Reeps comes and shows up sits down next to me and then I just hung out with Reeps and partied all the time. And him and Corey and everyone knew everyone downtown, knew every bartender, knew every door person, and I was underage, so they would just kind of took me under their wing and then I started hanging out with them a lot. And um there was a trip. Um they were going down for Joe Sib's birthday.
2: Cool, I guess I'm Joe Sib.
3: In LA somewhere. And the odd numbers were going to play the party. And so it was Corey, Reeps, and this guy, Eric. And then um, Corey's like, we got to bring the kid. And that, that's what it was. He goes, we got to bring the kid. And then from that trip, they call me the kid the whole trip. They were sneaking me into everywhere. And um, that was it after that trip to LA for Joe Sib's birthday.
0: So Corey O'Brien.
3: Corey O'Brien named me the kid.
0: <laughs> I mean, Corey. In a lot of ways, I don't know Corey that well, but from my perspective, he seemed like at at least at one t- era, he was kind of the mayor down here. Like he was a guy almost like Jake in a way that kind of like told you how it was, whether it was nice or not. Like kind of he sticky, was. They
3: right? they called him the mayor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, him and Gavin, him and Gavin were. Pretty much, but Corey was more was the pro. You know what I mean? And he is a lot more abrasive than Gavin, you know, so um, So yeah, you're right. He was like to me when I think of San Jose when growing up looking up I mean, it's Caballero, but I think Corey Kind of encompassed the attitude more than Caballero did, right. you know, it's like that's what I thought more of what San Jose was it was like punk aggressive skating fucking partying you know what i mean like that's what i thought of was like Corey.
0: he took the torch from black art
3: yeah totally absolutely (laughs) for sure
0: what was some was there anything on that trip that like was there something that stands out as some crazy shit that went down or like do you ever remember like
3: Uh, to me the whole fucking thing was crazy everyone seemed older other than like was
2: fish
0: involved
3: i uh, fish was just starting to be in wasn't quite involved a little bit i don't know if he was there there's only so many people that could fit in that van i'm trying to think
2: Sam Smith
3: um, Smith was there shout out um Devera he wrote for Dogtown was there shout um, out um and what's that dude's name he was like a pool skater Dave Warren went oh yeah yeah um friend. I don't think i think Wade was pro by then so he didn't go i don't think he went with us but another think guy was um Swindell shout out oh okay he had just gotten on, I think.
0: So that's interesting, because I, this is the thing to me that sticks out. is I don't remember exactly when you left, but when you left Think, after that, at some point, Phil gets sponsored by Think. Yeah. And the reason Phil got sponsored by Think was Swindell. Swindell mm-hmm. saw him skating at the vert contest at San Jose at the warehouse, mm-hmm. and he was riding for conco- concussion. Concussion, I remember Phil. And he's like, yeah this guy needs to be on Mm -hmm. and uh shortly after that he and i went to atlanta for the finals Mm -hmm. but yeah so i'm i'm wondering what like when did you leave
3: it wasn't long after my basically my first board came out and then i left um and there was another board that was just about to come out in a yeah, and then I just left.
0: Was the, what was the graphic? Was it a, the, a person? Yeah, it was
3: like a picture of me on fire. That's and right. it came from... Because, you know, back then it was all rip-off graphics in the early 90s. So yeah. they came what do you want? I'm like, I want Bad Religion Suffer, you know? And I pictured, I want you to rip off Bad Religion Suffer. But then they came with... They had the whole concept of what they're doing using photos with art. Right. And so it came back with a picture of me... Like, like this with, with a drawn flame around it. Who,
0: do you remember who the artist was back then?
3: Yeah, Kevin Ansel.
0: Kevin Ansel was Think's artist?
3: Well, he did that one. Oh. Even though it doesn't look like anything Kevin, I'm, when you think of Kevin Ansel on skateboard graphics, I think more of the stuff he did for real with those crazy paintings and stuff yeah. like that. He just did what put it together or something, drew flames around it real simple. Okay. And, and Bryce shot the photo.
0: So this is <clears> maybe before they even had an art department?
3: yeah yeah i, I, I had the, my first board wasn't even supposed to be my board it was like their first two slicks they were going to do uh-huh. and it one of them said think crime and it had all these guns and money it's so lame and then they just came up with a top graphic for me because they wanted something out right away so they already had the slicks coming right so they just made up a top graphic it was like two fists and it had my name and the had nothing to do with it i just forget that it even existed <laughs> And then there was another one that's like think sex or thinks whatever and it was like pictures of condoms and it was swindell. Okay. And uh but then my my the burning boy one came came out or the suffer one came out or whatever and then um then I bailed.
0: Was uh that straight to SMA? Yeah. Okay. When was your first trip to ASR? Was it while you were on Think?
3: No. Yes. It was. was. It was there? when my board came out.
0: Was there a, a famous uh, actor there? Turtle?
3: No, that was that was years later. <laughs> <laughs> that was years later. That was that was probably like uh, during like creature scare creature time or something. <laughs> what was? Maybe the, SMA time.
2: What was the deal?
3: Well, so there was this time. I love the movie North Shore. Sure. I love it. Yeah. And I lived in this one kind of punk house, skate house, and um, we had like this old VCR and um, no like cable or anything like that. And we had I had acquired a copy of North Shore at the flea market. I'd seen it when I was a kid, and then we just my house just became obsessed with the North Shore. And at our house, we had a big basement and like. A lot of punk bands practiced there. And then so they would come and practice. Then every night it was like get beer, pizza, sit around, watch North Shore. To the point where everyone knew the, everything. Knew all the words. You know, it was just like a thing. You know, we're sure. quoting it all the time. So then I go down to <laughs> ASR and I'm hanging out with this chick. And she knew him somehow. And he was at the trade show, Turtle, the guy who played Turtle. But he's really like someone from the North Shore, like a local from surfer from the North Shore.
2: Okay.
3: And um, so he was there for surfing, you know. So yeah, and I met him, and it was right in the time. I just remember going, I can't wait to get home and tell everyone at the house that I fucking met Turtle. <laughs>
2: Were
0: you with Tolan? Because he Tolan has this story where you go or he at least remembers. Following him around and asking about Chandler or something he, like the He, he,
3: he might, I think he might have been, now that you say that, I just remember being with the girl. I obviously remember the girl more than I'm, <laughs> sorry Tolan. <laughs> but I remember Tolan coming and hanging out at our house during that time uh, when it was North Shore Mania too. So he was probably at the, at the trade show as well.
0: So I got a gold medal in drinking and air guitar. Who mowed the neighborhood lawn from beer?
3: Tolan. <laughs> he came down one weekend. It was when Simon lived at this house, and um, we just drank all fucking weekend. And um, they lived right, right by San Jose State, so it was like all college kids. And somehow Toland went next door. I think he found a lawnmower. It was like in the morning, and we were already drinking. Yep. And he, I don't remember if he just found the lawnmower and just started mowing the neighbor's lawn. Somehow we got a case of beer out of it but i just remember and it, you know at the time it's so funny it's so hilarious you know what i mean and um it was all, it was like me simon toland alan peterson just on a debauched week mm-hmm. and like simon P- was paying for everything like it was just he'd be like all right guys we're do- i want to do this we're doing this and he would just pay for everything wow yeah
0: when does the bmc and in- start How- Is that when you're with Tim living?
3: Yeah, that yeah that was around the time of that house I would say. Maybe when I moved, I was on 13th Street and then I moved down to another 13th Street house. So I was on this 13th Street house. It was mainly like the punk scene guys, kind of guys. And then, but Simon lived there. It was kind of a mix, but it turned more into a punk house. Then I went and moved to the other 13th Street house, where it was like more the older guys, like Reeps lived there, and it was like that group of people.
0: Is Todd Prince
2: involved?
3: He's I'm starting to hang out with him at the time. Okay. He lived on 2nd Street. Ah. Um kind of like what right next door to where Ray Stevens lived and everybody.
0: And the warehouse was on 7th or something, right?
3: Maybe no or 10th. I think it was on 10th Street.
0: So from the get-go were you a part of that?
3: I would go down to the warehouse. Was still kind of an outsider.
0: Was that Cory and Cory and Kendall? And Kendall. Yeah. And NHS kind
3: of NHS helped them.
0: And at first it was just the vert ramp
3: in the spine. Vert for, for ramp in the spine. And that was like you were supposed to kind of know someone who knows someone or you're supposed to pay. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of loosened up and you can go and pay five bucks if, you were kinda, if they knew you. And then when that closed, they opened San Jose Skate Park. And that was Corey and like Andy Oliveira. That was just open to the public.
0: I feel like that was... Kind of when skateboarding became like what it is today for me. Yeah. I started seeing, I mean, I saw Alan Peterson for the first time in person at the first, was it called the Kennedy Warehouse?
3: Yeah, Kennedy Warehouse.
0: Okay. Prasenko kind of thought he was Chris Miller. Yeah. Like he had that same style. He wanted to do his front side grinds like that. And, uh, reaps and uh all the san jose dudes i mean there's a lot of dudes i don't know if they still skate more but like namba and all these yeah. dudes that skate vert. they just ripped
3: that's who basically i lived with that that 13th street house i lived with namba it was a bit it was like a 10 or 11 bedroom house this old victorian and it had like everyone had a room like an apartment and it, people kind of came and went all the time
2: mm.
3: everyone had like a fridge and a microwave in their room and kind of you had your own little studio apartment but, yeah, Nambas and all those dudes and um, the Mojers and, like, right. like, that was that
0: house. Uh, you've probably told this story a million times, but how did the BMC start?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, we, back to ASR. We okay. were at ASR. It was me, Tim, Jai Tanju, Crazy Eddie, and Solomon. And we were just at our hotel, and we were in... The elevator, and for whatever reason, Solomon just goes, "You're a beautiful man." No, he says this. He goes, "Sean Connery was a beautiful man." Out of nowhere, and we're all just like, it just struck us Like we were just laughing, this like, "What the fuck, Solomon? <laughs> Where did that come from?" And then it turned into. By the time we got to our floor, I was like, "No, you're beautiful. No, you're beautiful. You know, and that, and then it kind of just went from there." to then, I don't remember exactly how the club started. It just, I don't, me and Tim or, I don't know. I don't know. Then it went back to San Jose because Solomon didn't live in San Jose at the time. Went back to San Jose and we just started going like, probably drunk one night We're like, the beautiful men's club, it just came to. And then we started going, you're in, you know? And it wasn't even anything. It was like a fucking, it was a joke. It was a total fucking joke.
0: Almost like a drinking game bitches.
3: Yeah, yeah, but it was just like... And it was just anyone who we hung out with. Yeah, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Yeah, then the BMC, then... You know, my friend Brendan, gra- graphic design guy, just made a logo. And next thing you know, we had stickers. You know, it was like... And then it just came that whole kind of like creative kind of thing you, we all have. And then it turned into like... Jai's always taking pictures... And we're taking pictures, and it's like, let's make a zine. It's like a drinking zine, and we're the beautiful men's <laughs> club. We have ha- shirts and hats, and you know, then we start having like get-togethers, the barbecues, you know, and or there'll be some special thing like flogging Molly's coming to mm-hmm. town for the first time. I get on the phone, BMC night, fucking suit night, you know, it'd be like that. Call, make the calls. It's suit night, and then everyone would suit up. You know what I mean? It's shit like that. Uh, cowboy night, we're all going to the saddle rack. Everyone has to dress like cowboys, you know, and make flyers, and then take pictures, and then come home and make the zine from the photos, and that's how it you came.
0: you with Black Label at
3: that point? Uh, I am with, when it started, probably Creature Scarecrow time. Uh-huh. And then it went into black label
0: so because were you on the original creature yeah it was you chet Chet
3: when creature started i was on sma russ pope was the team manager of sma or -hmm. brand manager he wanted to start something new he wanted me to go with him it was me and barker barrett shout out and navaret had just gotten on sma and then he wanted Navarette to go, so it was me and Barker Barrett were the pros. Navarette went with them, and we had just come across this kid, um Dorian Tucker,, Ah. And so Dorian Tucker was one of the first ones, and that that's how it started.
0: Wow, interesting to yeah. see the rebirth of it and stuff like that, yeah, was it weird for anybody, or were you guys stoked or? I think Oh, year? I don't
3: I don't fucking care. Right. Yeah, I didn't care you but if yeah, you know I left to go do Scarecrow with Russ, you know yeah. And then they kept it kind of kept it going a little bit and then they ended up cutting it off for a while uh-huh. Did they keep it going then Navarrete stayed? Yeah, they kept it going because Navarrete stayed and then Chet got on and Then I think they cut it and then those dudes went to 151.
0: So when do you meet? Uh, Matt Hensley was that before Black Label? Did you already know him when he was on Flogging Molly or not yet?
3: Uh, did I know him? Yeah, I kn- knew him a little bit. Flogging Molly, they started a long time ago. Yeah. I don't think I really got to know Matt until I got on Black Label. Because he got on Black Label around the same time I did. It was like, it was like me and Mike V and Hensley all kind of got on at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, roughly.
0: What can you say about Matt? I mean, he's uh, a lot of people that I know his favorite, their favorite skater.
3: One of my favorites for sure. Uh-huh. You know, I, you know, I say when he came out, like I always say like Knox and Dressing, because they were kind of there just before Hensley. Then when Hensley came out, that was just like, holy shit, we're extremely progressive. Yeah. And there's something about this dude. And... I didn't know it. I knew nothing about the skinhead scene. I knew nothing about any of that shit. I'm like, "Well, this dude's so fucking cool. He's in a scooter, he wears these jeans, he's got this, you know, I just thought he was fucking cool, and he was one of the best street skaters of the time. And when I got to know him, he is one of the coolest motherfuckers in the fucking world. Like genuine, just a genuinely just fucking rad guy. We just became good friends.
0: So was it a trip when <laughs> you guys were riding for the same team at first? Were you a little starstruck? Or, or, like, how was yeah, that? Uh, I, I,
3: I don't remember. I, I had already met him. When did Foggy Molly come to San Jose? It was right around this. It all kind of happened right at the same time. I had met him in the past with Reeps. Because okay. Reeps was friends with him. Because him and Corey, when, when Hensley lived in Chicago. Corey and Reeps and a lot of these dudes around here, there was also a connection to Chicago. Huh. So they would go out to Chicago a lot and party or whatever. So Reeps knew Hensley from going out to Chicago. And so I remember going to the trade show one time with Reeps and then I met Hensley and then I would just run into him here and there. But really it was Black Label when I really started to get to know him. Um, and then he put me on Inez and um, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So sick. Uh I mean, we've both been fortunate to be around some bad people and just all the amazing shit. Um, The first cover you got, Mm -hmm. what what mag was it for? Thrasher. And was that, which photo was that?
3: The first time I was on the cover, there was three people on the cover. Uh And it was like a hundredth issue or some sort of anniversary issue. And it had three... I was in the middle doing like a crooked grind or a no backside nose grind on this electrical box. Three people are on the cover. I was in the middle doing a backside nose grind.
0: How did that feel getting the cover but sharing it is it like
3: No, I was still, it, I, still I no, I was still like just you know like mind blown, you know. And I got I had the back cover as well because it was SMA.
0: Were you aware at that time how rare that was?
3: I didn't think about it until I got my next full cover and had the back cover again, and then when Jake came up to me and said, front and back cover of two magazines, the only other person to do that is dead, don't kill yourself, is dead, don't kill yourself, and he skated away. (laughs) First time I met him, not the first time I met him, first time he came up to me in one of those, he's all, September 24th, I'm all, yep, he goes, it's a hard day to be born. Because my birthday is September 24th, so it was his. Yeah. And he, that's all he said. It's a hard day to be born and skate it off.
0: Obviously, you've <laughs> never lived in this body. Did you guys ever have any moments that were kind of memorable in a good way?
3: No. I, I was always a little bit confrontational with him. Uh, and um, everyone loved him. And I, to be honest, I'm, people are going to hate me. I never really understood it. I understood his importance and I understood what he did at Thrasher and how how he was keeping shit real. Yeah. But as on a personal level, I was I always kind of butted heads with him. But every once in a while he would come up to go like, "Hey, you know, I love you, man," you know. I but cuz I also knew how Jake operated and I didn't want to play his game. People send me soap. I'm not saying I didn't like the dude. I just was kind of like just we just always had a weird Thing going on. He obviously didn't hate me because he ran me in the magazine But I wrote for NHS so we kind of had to (laughs) (laughs) Overall looking back though, he gave me shit, but That's just Jake Mm. But I would call him out on his shit if I saw it and if I was there
0: I Mean to me when Jake and I started Blending well was when I got the Wavos to He actually, I saw it in so many people, he gave you shit until you were like this, and then he was like, I respect you now.
3: Yeah, but he never really gave me shit. Like, I hear, like, other people were, I knew, but I already knew he was like that. Yeah, he he never really gave me shit, he would just say weird shit. Something about me, when it came to him, I was like, just keep your distance. You know, I didn't care about being in with him, I didn't care about being in over at Thrasher, I didn't care, like... I just didn't give a shit, you know. I was young and didn't even realize what how things worked so much.
0: Right. But you, how many covers have you had? At least three.
3: Three. three. Two. All over the wall, into the ditch, and then it was the kickflip. At Uvis was the first full one.
0: That's one. And and you have like maybe a
3: beanie. on. I had a beanie on and checkerboard vans.
0: Did that change you at all? Getting the cover, like, did did it make you m- more notoriety? Did it like? help you with your sponsors or
3: not back then there was no such thing as photo incentive then there was no like skateboarding was it didn't matter what like so when i got into it it didn't matter what you did it was like we're gonna pay you a little bit of money there you go that's it because i mean this is still before like other than caballero people didn't really have shoe sponsors right. you, people got free shoes maybe a hundred bucks or something you know it wasn't there was no money. Mm. Um so you're just kinda like my attitude was like I'm just gonna take this advantage because I don't have to work and I just wanna have fun, you know, and I didn't really see any opportunity really in skateboarding, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so it didn't change shit. The details changed because I remember when there was something someone came and did a walkthrough thrasher, it wasn't that long ago, and it's Jake talking about everything and he's walking around and then he was like the numbers had changed. He's like, there's only been this many people that have had the front and back cover this many times. There's only one alive. Think about that. And I'm like, coming at me still. <laughs> what are you saying, Jake? <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: I'm still alive.
2: <laughs> That's
0: good. And you never really were a contest dude, right? Not really. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I would always do pretty well. Like, would you go to a lot of contests? I would go to them and, so when I like, I, like I said, I turned pro, there was nothing going on. And I would, early on I would go to all the contests and I would usually do well. Mm. And then things shifted, like I would say in the mid, 94-ish, 95. I didn't catch it because I was just in party mode. Like I was like, ah, oh, this is going to end next year, whatever, or this is going to end next year, whatever. Things started to kind of grow and people started taking it more seriously and then, you know, contests became serious and people started getting paid more from different companies and there was new shoe companies and people were throwing money. So then vans started paying people more. You know what I mean? A lot changed around 94 and um, I just missed that whole boat. And then I just didn't even fucking care. And I was still uncomfortable in my own skin. Like I turned pro and I'm like, I do not deserve this whatsoever, but I took it. Like, how do I say no? But I was like, did not think i deserved it so i had no confidence whatsoever and i didn't have to do like what people have to do now like an amateur has to do now i didn't have to do anything
1: like i said i'm trying to not work
3: companies needed young street skaters to sell to be able to sell 200 boards a month Mm. if not they couldn't even sell their 200 boards a month you know it was just like here just giving them out you know so I was not, I just would never, like we talked about earlier, I just was like, I had that like complex of like, I don't deserve, I'm fucking faking it. I'm got everyone fooled, uh, you know. So, I, you know, by then I was like, idolized, like not idolized, but I really liked Julian Stranger and these dudes a kind of underground vibe and stuff like that. So I kind of just rolled like that. Like I just didn't like, feel comfortable in any kind of spotlight or anything like right. that and i just then was really just getting into like partying a lot until i would turn 25 i would say so Uh, 20 to 25 was like raging just fucking raging all the time skating whenever i could kind of thing like you know (laughs) that's when i met you it's during those years yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: well i think i was gonna say I could be wrong, but you and Tim used to come to our ranch yeah. in Menlo Park, mm-hmm. with Corinne, and uh, at night, because we didn't have neighbors and we'd have lights, mm-hmm. and I feel like maybe that's, at least when I kind of got to know you a little bit, where we'd like talk a little on the deck or yeah. something, I'd probably seen you around, but I feel like that was, and that was like 94, probably,
3: yeah, that sounds right,
0: but yeah, um. What do you remember about Phil? Did you skate with Phil much?
3: When I think of Phil, I remember the concussion days. Yeah. Like, because that was the first time I noticed him. And it was also around the time when Palo Alto Skates Park came up, was built. So I remember Phil as, like, long hair, surfy, hasoi kind of guy. And and then I didn't really think about him or see him around too much. Then all of a sudden, boom, here's Phil Shao with short hair riding for Think, just like, what the fuck? Is I remember being like, that's the same guy as the concussion dude. It was like night and day. Yeah. You know, because he was like some stony long hair, woo, like layback Smiths on the on the tornado or the whatever the volcano, and you know what I mean. And he comes skate the vert ramp at the skate park, and he just had more of that a soy kind of thing going. And then all of a sudden, he's just like this insane street skater. i was just like my mind was blown
0: i saw i saw it happen it was he mm -hmm. had a vert ramp in his backyard Mm -hmm. he was his he broke his leg Mm -hmm. and he was out for a while during the time where he was out he watched mike carroll uh plan b part slow mowing nollie flips Mm -hmm. kick flips learning how to do it with his mind Mm -hmm. when i get better i'm gonna be yeah like this is the guy mm-hmm. he modeled himself after Mike mm-hmm. who, who, who better really right yeah uh and when he starts skiing again he just went to like we went to Stanford a lot the front yeah. five and he would shove at the five kick flip the five learn nollies nolly mm-hmm. flip and the thing about Phil that nobody knows is like he just could adapt really quick so once he was like oh I need to learn nolly flips he would learn. Them. Yeah, it wasn't hard.
3: Well, he seemed to have more of a intellectual approach, right? To it, and you could tell just from meeting him, he he's a lot smarter than me, you know, and and my knuckle dragging skateboarding. But yeah, but I mean, I would see you guys, run into you guys here and there, you know. There's a the jam or there's a an event, or yeah. but I never really, we're never like, hey, let's link up. It was never like that. It was just seeing you guys here or there.
0: I I do this because it's natural but in in the process of doing it i always find myself going like man i don't want to be the grieving host yeah. or whatever but we got to talk about pisto right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we both love yeah. When did you meet preston
3: i met preston um i went on a vans trip back east 96 97 i don't know it's hard around there um he was just the video guy on this van strip and we flew to north carolina actually i think i flew out to north carolina early and stayed with chet and then the vans guys came and then we made our way down to tampa pro oh
0: it was a trip to tampa i
3: think so i could be getting two trips mixed up but i'm pretty sure that's what it was Peestone was on that trip and, I, and for one, he, he looked like my childhood friend Branch, and I was just tripping on that. And two, I just, I, he just blew my fucking mind. Just the way he rolled. Everyone knows how he rolled. He was the same dude in 1995 or 96 than he was the day he died. Same guy, stoked, drinking beer all day, using his Budweiser fucking thing as a pillow. Nope, I'm good. You want to you want to, you want a blanket piece? He wasn't pieced on yet. Preston. No, oh, I'm good, man. This floor is really nice. Oh, he was just like, I just couldn't believe how easy going and how pumped he was every minute of every day. And then I don't think I really, I would probably run into him here and there, but it wasn't until I think the year I lived in Huntington beach. And um, Chet, it was when I did Six-Gun, and then Chet was on Six-Gun, and then we, st- then we started linking up with Rhino a right. lot. And um, Preston came along with him. But I want to say there might have been more time in between there. I just can't remember.
0: Was there one trip that stands out that you guys, or like some interaction you guys, like... Oh,
3: I went on so many trips with P-Stone and, and yeah. Rhino. It was like the dynamic duo, did you know you to what I mean? you were up with them? Yeah. Fucking insane Every wow. every trip with Peestone and Rhino Is the best trip I think the most The most legendary one Was when we did the Route 66 trip
0: Oh Preston went on that? Yeah Oh I didn't know that Oh yeah
3: Rick and Buddy too? Or no? Rick and Buddy
0: Oh Rick
3: and Buddy and Preston Yep That was the one. Corey went too? Co- it was me Corey Chet E-Man oh, Sorry dude I'm, I forgot your name right now Um, Fibero guy
0: Pencil?
3: Yeah, Pencil. (laughs) Really? Yeah, Pencil was on it. Um, Shit.
0: That was the Cadillac. You guys took a Cadillac? Yeah,
3: and we had the NHS van. Okay. I know I'm forgetting someone, but that was the core of the the crew.
0: Did you do that trip more than once?
3: Yeah, I did one on my own.
0: Because there was one where I met you guys in Flagstaff.
3: Yeah. I, I I bought an old Cadillac to do that trip. That's where that trip came from. Okay. Rhino wanted to do that trip. Okay, um, but I did that in like '99, the summer of '99. I I wanted to go to Graceland, and I had bought this book on Route 66, and I just got the like Route 66 like fever. Mm. And so I'm like, well, if I go, I it would be I want to I want to drive an old Cadillac, you know, and that that was my thing. And I'll take my buddies, and we'll make a skate trip out of it, and we'll all get to see the Route 66 sites I want to see. I get to go to Graceland, you know, so. That's the one Upson went on, okay, and Piton wasn't on that one. It was me, okay. Chet, me, Chet, Jai Upson, and um Aaron Harrison
0: yeah, that was the one where I took Yvonne from Spain, yeah, me and Yvonne are chasing Jehovah and I think Collinson or something. We're one day behind them the whole yeah. time. We finally get the Flagstaff stuff, and they're like, we're leaving
3: <laughs> and we're there, and Ybon's
0: like, what?" he didn't speak much English, That was crazy Yeah, so I always ask people what, like, one of the raddest things they ever saw on a skateboard that they were there for And I don't know all your travel, but I definitely know that Duffel did something on that Route 66 that was pretty hairball
3: Okay, yeah, he ollied off that, like, pipe under the freeway into the crazy ditch Yeah That was fucked up Corey was on a fucking mission on that trip I think it was the tail end of some foundation video part and that was he had shit in his mind He was focused and he Just put an ass whooping on everywhere. We went
2: who's ever on that side of that keyboard. I'm coming for you, man
3: and That's the only time Where I've been like, I think I'm gonna walk away. I don't want to watch this like like, you know, no, no matter what you know your friends could get fucked up, but you're like, you got it, bro. Yeah. Come on, you got it. I was like, I'm not going to say that because he could die. Like it looked for the time. Like now I see shit and I'm just like, Pff. but it was fucked up. Yeah. Like fucked up. He put his fucking leather jacket on. I think he had gloves on and shit. Like it scared me. And I actually went away for a little while. Oh my God, I want to see this. And then i'm like "Fuck, i got you. <laughs> and i went back and he did it
0: i always tripped on that because <laughs> you guys were pretty much in party mode the whole crew mm-hmm. like pencil was a wreck you're oh, a, wreck. a
3: fucking and
0: you got p-stone and then you got a corey duffel uh, that's sober never yeah. touch alcohol in his life he doesn't and give a younger. fuck
3: but by then he was a little older
0: how did he get in the car though like, who, um, like, let's bring Duffel.
3: Or? Kim and Chet went on a trip. Or Him and Chet had a bromance going on at the time. Oh. And so Chet's like, we got to bring Duffel. And I've known Duffel since he was a little kid, you know, yeah. from being around here. And I was like, yeah, cool, rad. It was fucking party mania. I, w- I wasn't quite a wreck yet, but it was drinking all day, every day. Yeah. And by then, that's when we'd go on trips and collectively without p knowing we were getting together for the P-Stone count. We would count how much, try to keep a count on how many beers he drank in a day.
1: <laughs> if we get past 1.30 a.m., look out. The- Dude,
3: he... I don't know how we got away with the shit we got away with on that trip. Like, we had like an, some sort of blessing on that trip with the shit we got away with. And what p got away with and how we didn't end up in jail? How Peestone didn't end up in jail? How anyone didn't end up in jail? I don't. I mean, any skate trip, you could say that, because you're constantly trespassing and breaking law. This was another level of fucking madness, you know.
0: Where did all that footage go?
3: Buddy and Rick did something. They were working for like the Ride Channel or something. So they did a whole like.
0: It was the internet was already happening.
3: Yeah, yeah, because this is like I wrote for Enjoy at the time, so this is like two thousand and. Lux is born in two thousand six. This is like two thousand seven.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Something like that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of but a lot of Corey shit went to the right.
2: Foundation. You know, yeah.
3: Foundation video.
2: And now another first impression from Agha.
1: Morning, Saminaga, checking in with talking Schmidt about my good friend Jason Adams. When I first met Jason, we must have been in junior high and uh, we were into skateboarding. A lot of kids were into skateboarding, a lot of our friends that were a little older seemed in retrospect like skateboarding was just an accessory. But for Jason, myself, Shawn Dolly, it was our life, you know, it was... 24-7 Wake up, skate Do nothing else Jason was into zines Making art And uh Man he could fly I just have this Image of him doing a Japan Air With this Bish Galati Flying off the jump ramp And that was the era Curbs and jump ramps That's what we were doing yeah, Jason was a little shy, but uh, when I first met him, but uh, we quickly became friends, and I think we sensed that we both loved to skate, and that's that. The rest is history.
0: When did you, have you always been doing art, like your whole life?
3: No. i'm a horrible artist
0: when did you start doing it i'm guessing it starts with stencils right yeah
3: well so like in school i always liked the i sucked in school i was a horrible student you know what i mean but i and i always liked art classes and woods and the creative classes i always sucked at it it would frustrate the hell out of me because that's what i want i want that's all i wanted to do like i wanted to be an artist Mm. But couldn't draw, couldn't paint, couldn't do shit, you know what I mean? But I still, you know, I went, would make zines, and, you know, I, in my room when I was a kid, I would make collages. I was always kind of a creative kid, building things and doing stuff like that. But in my mind, I'm like, traditional art, when I'd go to an art class, I'm no good, you know? Like, um, so, and all through my life, I would kind of go, oh, I'm going to try to get into this again, and always just get frustrated. So then I started it was after Haley was born my first daughter so I was home with her all day like a newborn baby like three days a week and I'd hurt my ankle at the time so I was like my brain was cranking and I started kind of conceptualizing this brand idea and I was going to make t-shirts and stuff like that and I wanted it to be like punk looking but kind of country looking so I just Copied, like rancid record kind of vibe you know what i mean and like that cut and paste xeroxy stuff and i just started making stuff and then cutting stencils i would customize my boards my grip tape you know make stencils and i started doing this whole six gun concept and spray painted t-shirts and got t-shirts made so it started just out of wanting
0: started with six gun
3: with with just doing it in my house not not for a brand i was just going to make my own shit for fun just make t-shirts or whatever just out of having that creative drive to do something and being home you know kids napping you know that kind of thing and being hurt so that's how it started and then I just started getting more into cutting the stencil and I enjoyed it was almost like a therapeutic kind of thing just to zone out and spend I had the patience to cut these detailed stencils and then but i didn't think of it as art or anything like that i was just like oh i cut these stencils stencils aren't art you know it's like cutting stencils and then i found a book so i used to go to the bookstore all the time because before the internet really mm. any kind of anything you'd see you go to the bookstore and look at the art books or look at whatever books yeah. and i found the stencil book and it was like street half of it was street art and half of it was like like fine art these people were in galleries and, shit and it just blew my mind I'm like stencils aren't art so when I saw that, then that's when it got in my mind. I wanna fucking, I wanna do what these guys are doing. And, um, and that's how it started. So I was uh, like, when I just started messing around making six gun stuff, I was 26. And then when I started like trying to make paintings, I was like almost 30, you know? Okay. But b- between that, then I ended up, John started seeing what I was making and he started going like, oh, let's use that for a board graphic. So then I started getting involved with like the creative process of, for my stuff at Black Label. Yeah. Then he wanted to do the Six Gun thing. So then I basically was like art director of Six Gun, and would make my pieces and my stencils and stuff like that. And and then when I moved back to San Jose, then I started messing with stencils more and tried to figure out how to like make stuff that someone might want to hang on a wall or something.
0: What was the first board graphic that you had done that you got?
3: The first one that I, I, it's kind of weird because it was kind of like a group process. It was the first six gun ones. (laughs) The the way six gun happened, because the six gun logo, my friend drew the logo. So, and I just told him, I want these guns. I want this cowboy hat and I want it to look like it's Xeroxed. He drew it. So that was there. And then the first time we used it was before Six Gun, we just did it for one of my Black Label boards. And then I just took the logo that he drew and then I just Xeroxed it more and then cut out like borders and then stenciled a font. You know what I mean? And then I took it in there, then John kind of put it together. And then the first time was (laughs) Six Gun came about overnight. I could tell John had something in his mind going But I didn't really question him. I just would just kind of went along with it Uh, And we were at black label one day because i moved down to huntington beach to work at black label and um And then he was like all right Can you get some stuff together for graphics tomorrow and call chet tonight? We'll we're gonna do six gun Like as a brand or a sub brand and I was just like Okay And I was just like fuck And so I go home and I'm looking through my books and I'm going to Kinko's and I call Chet and Chet's like, Chet was gonna call me that day like I'm over 151, do you think I could get on Black Label? And I'm like, well, check this out. And then I told him about that and it was just like that. Next day I came in with all these pieces that I cut and pasted, I, I cut out and spray painted all the logos and it wasn't done. I just brought all these pieces and then brought them to patrick nagy at the time and he scanned them all and then me him and john sat there and pieced them together in the computer that's kind of the first time i did it and it was just like that overnight no agreement didn't know really what it was it was just its own thing in the catalog open up it was like six gun with like five boards two t-shirts and like overnight the next day boom
0: that's got to be pretty wild working kind of with chet on some ideas and then having john What's, uh, what's the good about living down, uh, where were you? Huntington? Mm -hmm. Was there any good?
3: It was a lot of good. Cause like, so 25 found out I was going to be a dad instantly snapped me into shape. I was already burning out, like going like, dude, I party too much. I've never really applied myself at the sponsorship skateboard game, even though I've been pro for years already. I'm already kind of looked at as old (laughs) 25. Um, if you keep partying, it's just going to be over, you know? And I had just like had a span where I didn't have a board sponsor and then ended up getting on Black Label, fortunately, and was like, and, and in my mind, I was like, I'd always wanted to ride for Black Label, but always knew I relied on being able to have a steady paycheck, even though if it was 800 or a thousand dollars a month or whatever, you know what I mean? And I always knew you couldn't really get that at Black Label, but I always was like, oh, Black Label's the shit. And so when John hit me up, I was just like, I ain't got nothing else going on. I've always wanted to. This is my swan song. You know what I mean? This is the end, so might as well go out being on Black Label because it's always been my favorite since it started. Right. And then that obviously changed. But So 25, found out I was going to be dead, got on Black Label around that just before that sobered up and went full bore filming for this video John was talking about cuz i wanted to secure i wanted to keep my place in skateboarding cuz it was to me it was going away mm. and um and so i worked my ass off i would do anything that's like when i came up and built ramps with you for your fucking ramp video and shit i would do anything at that time i would go anywhere giant new cuz then black label became part of giant So we kind of were like the stepchild of Giant, but kind of the team manager would take care of us. So anytime they would call, no one wants to go to this contest in wherever, in Belgium. Will you go? Yes. No one wants to do this. Will you go? Yes. I would do anything at any time. So I was hustling to try to be able to make a living. I have a kid and and then having a kid. And then Label Kills comes out And I was like, this is, Label Kills is going to be my last chance. If nothing happens with this video, I'm pretty much done. Label Kills comes out. Nothing really is happening. I don't realize that it takes time for those things to kick in. So me, I'm a new dad. I want to be responsible. My wife hates her job. I call up John. I'm like, can I have a job at Black Label?" He's like, move, come down. So I'm like, packed up the family. Moved to Huntington Beach, one year old daughter, you know what I mean? And started working at Black Label and then the popularity of Label Kills started kicking in. And then I started getting calls and I started making money, you know what I mean? And and, um, just from skateboarding and I'm working at Black Label, you know? So I'm covering a lot of ground here. Long story short, I end up quitting working at Black Label and moving back to San Jose because now I'm making good money skateboarding and I really don't like skating in Huntington Beach. I miss San Jose because when I left San Jose, like the whole tilt mode thing was cranking and I filmed Label Kills during the beginnings of the whole tilt mode thing. So it was just any day I could go out with Matt or Chris. People were going out and um, it was just a lot of fun. Um, so, but there were, back to your questions, a lot of benefits from being at Huntington beach. I was at black label all the time. It's right, right by 411. Anytime 411 has something going on, who's available, you know, go down to San, easy, 45 minutes to go to San Diego. You know, it was like, I was right in the middle of everything and got to do so much shit just in that year that I was there. So there's benefits in that way because up here, there's nothing going on, you know? Even though San Francisco's there, might as well be fucking <laughs> another fucking state.
2: Yeah.
3: Santa Cruz is just NHS. If you're not in the core of NHS, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know? It's so, Um. so yeah. There's benefits from being down there, but I missed the tight skate scene here, mm. you know? Huntington Beach was like a mecca for all these people from all over the world. There wasn't, you come to San Jose, everyone loved it when they come to San Jose because the, t- the the scene was so tight, you know, it was, it was more yeah. like a family scene. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted to come back here.
2: Like the
0: Tilt Mode era was just, I mean, especially when Mark and Jerry were still yeah. here and fuck everybody, like it was just insane. I, I, the premiere was like
3: yeah for the tilt mode army premiere yeah i don't see i was like i was automatically in the tilt mode army like you, the kids you know i during all the madness i wasn't a part of all that because i had just become a dad right. so like right when tilt mode started cranking is right when i became a dad and wow. like sobered up like didn't sober up but like cut off my Shifting old gears. way shifted gears <laughs> to a new direction yeah. i would still go out and tie one on here and there you know but um so i wasn't part of all of the bunny suits and the raging parties and all that sh- shenanigans i just they called me to go skate or i called them to go skate okay. and they just welcomed me in because i was the even though i was the same age as some of them but i was the older guy you know san jose guy but right um so yeah yeah they they were they had a, a amazing thing going on
0: Have you done any board graphics for uh some other pros like have you done an Omar one or anybody else or just team boards or like what
3: I've just done stuff for black label where he was like, I want this for a series oh so it's like okay or I did a series of paintings and John with John it's more like he sees something I do and goes i want to use that
0: oh so you're not doing I don't
3: really it do forward. it for unless he goes i want Portraits of these, of this, and I go, okay, I could do that, you know. Um, but I've done stuff, I have done stuff for like Partnin and, and um, did like some like the artist series stuff with Real and Crooked. Early on, that's embarrassing to look at now because it was right when I started, I shouldn't have gotten any recognition for anything I did art wise, but because probably I was had a name in skateboarding and the stencil thing was kind of new people liked it looking back now was fucking horrible but um so yeah i, I I'd done i'd probably done other stuff that i forgot about too um
0: what's the situation nowadays are you like do people call you like if somebody wants you to do something can they contact you and you do that or are you just doing your own vibe and then,
3: i when it a, when it comes to like like, stuff for, like, graphics, I usually shy away. Um, Because it's a lot of work, and it's, just to be honest, it doesn't pay a lot. So, before I would take anything, but then when I started, like, now, when I'm going, like, especially after I started doing house painting work, and got the concept of your time is worth this much money, you know, and I started comparing what I would much time i do on this and how much i would make from doing art and what i would do from being not only a house but like a grunt house painter i'm like i make more money doing a be, being a, a grunt house painting than i do doing graphics you know and that's not complaining because it's art's a weird thing and it's cool to do that stuff but i started going like what's worth my time and i started doing stuff like doing kind of wheel graphics or board graphics and going takes me this much time to do it, I get paid this. I have a better chance of making a painting that I want to make and selling it for more. You know, I started thinking more at first I would just do anything because I couldn't believe anyone wanted me to do anything. Mm. Just do it. Yeah, fuck yeah. And then I started thinking more like smart. Yes. You know, and um so now it's like if I get hit up for commissions or stuff, yeah, I'm welcome to do that kind of stuff. Graphic stuff is hard because I don't do anything. I don't really do it digitally. It's like hard art. And then a lot of times it's like, oh, but can you change this? And, oh, I don't know, you know. And then it's like, and it just still pays what it pays. Yeah. It's not like when I go do a house job and I go, I pay, it's time and materials. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's like, it pays $300. bucks. i am like, okay, I'll spend five days doing that you know like it just so i I started shying away from stuff like that unless it was something i just wanted to do because it's a friend or just i want to do it because i think it's cool or whatever
0: so when you do stuff for like an art show let's say is it kind of like building an album where you have a theme and you start like figuring out some stuff and once you figure it out and it's halfway through you're like okay, I want to try to have a show or does the show come and you have the pressure to build it for the show? I've
3: always built it for the show mixed with sometimes having some things left over. I don't, I'm just starting to kind of figure it out at almost 49 years old now. Uh Now I'm just now starting to get the concept of being more thoughtful and conceptual and things like that. Before I would just jump on any opportunity. I felt like I was making up for lost time. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, I want to do something with this. So it would be like, oh, you want a show? For th- Yeah. I just would do whatever. And it would always be last minute. Just make whatever. Mm-hmm. And there have been a, a few of them I've done that were like, me and my friend Sid did something where we had like a, a theme. And I made the whole show around that theme. Right. And then the last one I just did, which was the first one in a while, half of it was from a... An idea I had of what I, what's going on right now, but then it was some stuff that I had prior, like stencils I had that I repainted or s- paintings I started before I went to rehab and I just finished them, you know what I mean? But I definitely came back from rehab with a kind of a different outlook and a different mindset when it came to be creative
0: than okay. before. Um, do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about the rehab and Yeah, totally. And, okay. Yeah. I mean, um obviously you got to a point where you felt like you were drinking too much.
3: Oh, I was definitely drinking too
0: much. What sparked rehab?
3: I couldn't get a I couldn't quit. As much as I tried, I couldn't not drink. And uh, t- you got to understand for years already I had been physically addicted to alcohol. So I don't drink. I get tremors. I feel sick. I can't do anything for days, you know. Because I would sober up. I would go through, shake it out, for days. I'm a new time. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do this anymore. Fall back. New, to, you know, back and for years, back and forth like that. And somehow I'm functional. You know, it's it's amazing when you become an addict, what you can do, how you can pull shit off, how you can go work all day and sneak drinks. How you can, like, make it all work, get up, go to work early, work all day, not fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, drive around all day. It's like, right. when you get to the point where you need it to, just to maintain, it's not like you're driving around partying all the time. You're just drinking to maintain. Sure. And then I even ended up in the hospital because of my drinking with pancreatitis. Oh. Started drinking again. I would have flare-ups and know I'm having flare-ups, not want to go to the doctor, you know what I mean? Like, and, but there, I could never get a hold, of, a handle on it. I just hadn't r- reached my rock bottom.
0: In retrospect, are you, do you think you're kind of self-destructive or is it more yeah. just like an addictive, like... No, I'm self
3: destruct I was self-destructive, okay. for sure. Yeah. Bad anxiety, right. self-destructive, lack of confidence in myself, hated myself. Just self-loathing in in an unhealthy relationship, um, a washed-up fucking pro skater with kids and no no good ideas. You know, I felt like shit, and I drank.
0: Did you come up with the idea to go to rehab, or did you get an intervention?
3: No, I I came up, yeah. I just got to the point, I, I was maintaining for a while, drinking every day. And not only drinking every day, it's like go to sleep with two cock stiff, strong cocktails on my nightstand. Actually three, because I would finish one, knowing I'm gonna get up at two in the morning shaking, need another one to go back to sleep, so I can get up at six to drink that the first one so I could get up, get one of the kids to school, get to the job, drink, sneak drinks. Have I would already have my bottle, like, like bubbly water concoction for to get through the day, like that shit. Yeah. You know. Um,
0: what are you feeling like at the mo- in that time when you're you know you're sneaking drinks?
3: Yeah. And when I say sneaking drinks, I'm saying like, I have to drink incognito. So if I'm gonna go work with REAPS today, painting, I can't paint shaking. And feeling like I'm going to have an anxiety attack. Right. I'm going to make my big bubbly water with vodka because he won't know. That's what I mean. I'm not saying I'm sneaking drinks because I'm not going to get enough. I'm saying I'm sneaking them so no one knows.
0: But do you think Reeps is going to be bummed if he knows you're drinking?
3: Of course. Yeah, it's how I'm professional. Even though he's my buddy, but we're working. Okay. You know, it's like...
0: So you're in... You have that mindset. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Because I'm... Sometimes you're like, I I don't give a fuck mindset.
3: No, no, I knew, like, I was, I was trying,
0: like, I'm just drinking. No,
3: I, I, I was trying to, to come across like I didn't have a problem. Like, I'm not just a fucking moron who wants to drink beer on the job site. You know what I mean? Okay. There's been times I've loaded my, my suitcase up with all my little mineral waters full with vodka. Because I knew I was going to have to have them for everything. And Then and then that would get me through and then I would be able to get my drinks at the liquor store or whatever Because it's no big deal if you drink in the van or you drink here and there it's accepted mm. So then I would still drink with everyone else, but I would have my shit when I needed them in the middle of the night I couldn't go to the store or I needed it in the morning or I needed it on the car ride I didn't want to totally come across like a raging alcoholic and always be like stop Go get a whatever, you know, right? So um, I was sneaking it just so I didn't look like a raging alcoholic that I was. So or am.
0: You caught yourself trying to quit a few times and feeling like I can't
3: do I this. tried to quit. Help. And the, what really started happening is there's so much more going on here with my marriage sure. and everything. And so I was, ma- I think that long winded was, I was maintaining for a while with having a, a, a serious, like I had to have alcohol. And then I started. Seeing me like progressively get worse. So I was still showing up on time. I was still working I was still doing a good job and I started noticing. I was starting to get lazy. I was starting to I Could tell my mind wasn't working the same way. My thoughts weren't were different You know the whole look in the mirror and be like, I don't know. I don't know this I don't know what I'm becoming, you know, I could see that I was changing I wasn't the person. I was lying. I, you start lying about your drinking, and then it's easy to lie about all kinds of other things. So I was becoming a liar who I've never been. I was had to drink. I was up to like a fucking handle jug of vodka a day, and I started feeling like I was losing control. I got so drained emotionally, physically, and mentally. I just one day I'm, I was out here and I like sat down. I, there was something to sit down on. I just I was like. I can't fucking do this anymore. And, and I started having this vision of like, like I'm in some sort of car or cart going down a hill, really faster and faster and there's a cliff coming. And I knew if I didn't fucking turn it around right now, something really bad was going to happen. I was going to completely ruin my relationship with my kids. I was going to end up in jail. I was just something bad was going to happen. And, um, and by that time, it was just me and Lux living here. And I was like, I can't, I have to get away from my life. Like, I can't, not only do I need to get away from my life, so I, like, stress of life. Because before it was like, after this job, I'll sober up.
2: Yeah.
3: After this thing, I'll sober up. Because I needed, I had to make money to pay, the, <laughs> to pay the rent, you know. So it's like, I didn't have five days to get clean. Like, it, or in my mind, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So I just finally was like, I need to tell everyone honestly where I'm at. I need help because I'm not in a position to just, to, I can't do this on my own. That's what it was. I have to get better and I can't do it on my own. And I, it has to be more, I have to commit to it more than just, I'm, I don't want to drink anymore. I needed to go i felt like i needed to go to rehab and i needed to get to the root of the problem right you know
0: how long were you there a month is the first few days just detoxing yeah and are you medically helped yeah they give you something to help
3: yeah yeah Yeah, there's like certain rooms growing up no i never threw i don't think so i have i've thrown up detoxing before but it's when like tried to drink Water or eat or something and it just the
0: worst part just mental or were you sweating or like what you're
3: sweating it It's you feel like just dog shit. You feel like absolute fucking dog shit and you're just shaking Even with the meds they give you Um, It took for me to really start feeling better. It took They put you in there for like four days and then you're expected to kind of come start integrating but I was still thrashed. Like
0: so it took me, confinement, like you're well, off. you know,
3: you have like, I had a, a roommate who was detoxing too from meth.
0: Oh man.
3: But he, he was super cool.
0: But like, you're kind of like dealing with your own shit. Yeah, but, but you know it? what?
3: The thing is what it, the, the thing that was cool about rehab is you go in there and you're, you're just with a bunch of people in the same position as you are.
0: But is everyone in there cause they want to be? Like, you wanted to be there. I feel like some people go there because they have to.
3: Some people are like that.
0: And I feel like those are the ones that There's some
3: people. For. There's some people that were there that they're professional rehabbers. Like, every... They they've been 10 times. Right. They go out, they do a bunch of drugs for a while. And a lot of them are young kids. They do a bunch of drugs for a while. They get tired. Drugs don't work anymore. You have to have so much. And they're like, oh, I'll go on... And then they have access to some sort of insurance or something. Go on vacation to rehab. You get food, you get a nice place to stay, you get drugs. You know what I mean? It's just like, crazy. yeah. The guy that I was in rehab or in detox with was a fucking con man. He was cool. I actually dug the dude, but he played the fucking system. That's what He's like, dude, I could call. He, he was telling me how he would like go, I want to go to, I wanna go to uh, Florida. He would call a rehab center in Florida. And the way a lot of rehab centers are, it's a kind of an insurance scam. So they will literally pay you to go to their rehab to get the insurance money. They would. So he'd go, I want to go to Florida. They'd buy him a ticket to Florida. There'd be someone at the airport waiting for him. He just walk right by him. Free ticket to Florida.
0: No way.
3: And he ended up there because he was just down and out and he had hurt his knee. He's like, fuck, I'm broke. I'm hurt my knee. I'm going to go to rehab free drugs free food, free room. But then there's a lot of people like me.
0: I mean, there's got to be tons of crazy stories, right? When you start get do you get in the circles? and, and Yeah. Start kind of Dude, uh, your stories?
3: At first I was like, what the fuck did I, what is going on here? But mostly I kind of got entertainment out of it. Then like going, what, I uh, can't believe I ended up here. You know, I, I had such a good attitude going in. I was just like, I'm ready for whatever. But, yeah, there's crazy shit that goes on.
0: My experience with Al-Anon meetings, when I started going to those things, when I was sobering up and just trying to get an understanding for alcoholism, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. This is who I am, I think, but I started having a lot of self-judgment on, like, I thought my story was so gnarly. Mm-hmm. And then I get to Alan on, and I'm like, I'm Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And I'm the cheesiest. Like, all these dudes are so much gnarlier than yeah. me. Yeah. And it almost turned me away from it. Yeah. And, which was sad because later I was like, I realize like no dude just like the imposter syndrome yeah yeah you got to just be who you are you're not competing to anyone no your story is as gnarly as it is for you that it'll ever be
3: yeah i mean there was people that are total heroin addicts and yeah um but the, the thing i learned though too like my level of alcoholism is just as is is almost on the same level as like you know, like, I remember, like, when I was in detox, I would go out, my room was right by the smoke pit. That's where everyone congregated when you're not in meetings and stuff. i just go out there with my hood on because I needed to smoke. And I'd just be like... And then everyone's like, I do not even know all the acronyms and everything that they use. They're like, what's your, what? what's your DOC? And I was like... I, I, and I figured, oh, drug of choice. I'm like, alcohol. And they'd be like, ooh. <laughs> you know, like, because alcohol is... Alcohol um, detox or withdrawal is the only thing that can kill you. Huh. Um, even heroin, it, you'll, you're sick as fuck and you hate life, but it, it, it won't kill you. Right. And, like, meth detox really isn't, you're just exhausted from being up for however long you're, you're up, you know. Mm. Um, so everyone was like, ooh, alcohol, fucking," wow. <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, there are some gnarly stories.
0: If you were going to tell somebody that's struggling and they're having a hard time. Is there something that you learned through the whole experience that you're like, this kind of clicked on helping me like stay the course and not going back? Like obviously getting through the medical detox and feeling good again. Yeah. But what about the mental?
3: The thing that worked for me, the thing is, is for it to work, you have to 100% want to be there. You have to want you have to want to quit more than anything you know like you have that's like and you have to believe it you have to want that so be, that and you have to be able to strip yourself of your ego your cynicism your any everything you know because even I caught myself sometimes because you know it's very much AA and n a and then you hear the God thing and you kind of have a knee-jerk reaction and I'd be like uh, I don't want to do AA, you know? And then I was just like, dude, you need to be open. You need to be open. You have to strip yourself of all your ego and you, all your negative negativity that you used to have, all your cynicism you used to have, everything that you used to break down and find problems with it, that has to go away. Mm. And you have to just almost like you're starting from scratch. Uh, for me, I was seeking, I wanted to get better, and I was seeking. I was listening to everything they had to say. I, I wanted to find out why, what's my fucking problem? Like, why do I want to drink so much, you know? In a nutshell, it's like, all the other times I tried to quit, it was like, I need to quit, I should quit. I really didn't want to. Like, even go being in the hospital for a week with a disease or with a whatever that could ha- ha- k- does kill people, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't quit, you know? It wasn't till that moment on the driveway right here where it was like, I want to and I'm willing to do whatever that's the key because I saw people in rehab all every day complain about shit weren't didn't take weren't didn't take accountability didn't really want to be there you know just kind of expecting the rehab to do the work and that's not the way it works like you have you, I have to do the work they're just like giving me some tools have to pick up the tools and use these tools i don't have to use all the fucking tools they give me i pick the ones that work for what my life right and and go from there but for me it was saying i want to not i need to
0: does at some point the momentum ball start rolling the other way and then you you know like when i stopped drinking i felt like there was a certain point where i was like god damn i don't miss hangovers God mm-hmm. damn i'm waking up early feeling good yeah and and those little things help me to continue doing it like was there a point where you start getting that momentum where you're like dude i can skate better or like i can think straight again or just
3: um i do i i have i to this day i have the uh, like all kinds of weird different things like that it was it was more like getting things under my belt like this is one i've never done anything like this it's sober right you know, I hadn't skated sober in years. I hadn't, fuck, had sex in years sober. and You know what I mean? Like, I, I hadn't done, painted sober, ever. You know what I mean? So it was all these little things, you start getting them under your belt. It's like, or going up a ladder, you know, you get higher and higher and higher. And I notice everything. I don't really, I don't count days. Like, everyone's like, how many days? Or how, I don't, even, I don't. I I actually think for me, I never counted the days. Every once in a while, I'll be like, "How long has it been?" Oh fuck, it's been eight months. You know, so but like this coin that it's more. Know. No, none of that shit. I don't. And and I'm totally for AA, and I was willing to do it when I came out. I just realized I didn't need. To, I for me, I don't need to do it. It's more of that. Every time I do something, and I see how much better I am at it. Every time I do something that used to be very hard, and I would drink through it. And realizing that a lot of things I did, I realized if I had to drink to do something, then I don't really want to do it. You know? And once I was like, you had to drink through that because you didn't want to do it. And you don't have to do that. You don't need to do You know, these are old ways. These are old habits. So things like that, like I'm constantly little boom, boom. Why did you need to drink to go out to this thing? Oh, you know why? Because you don't like going out to those things. So now I'm just like I don't want to do. If I don't want to do it, I don't do it. Yeah. There's certain things I have to do, but
0: it was a huge point in my life when I learned how to say no. Mm-hmm. It was the same exact thing you're talking about. I would be like, "Fuck, we have to do that," and I don't want to, but I don't know how to not do it. Yeah. And once you were able to be like, you know what, you guys do it. I'm okay. I'm just staying home and I'm yeah. not doing that. For example, I couldn't go to the bar for like. Probably six to eight months mm-hmm. after I stopped drinking and I, that was my big no was like I can't yeah If I go I'll drink. Yeah for sure.
3: Yeah, that was another thing. That's like my a friend of mine quit drinking recently and and um, Due to health problems and uh, he's like so what's it like like going do you still go to the bar scene? And I'm like, I'm all I can go to a bar and it's not a problem. I hadn't gone to bars for years I was a drinker I wasn't a partier I fucking drank by myself at home or if I'm skating or something occasionally go out or whatever and I go I can go to a bar been to a bar it's fine it doesn't bother me I don't feel like I want to drink I don't think that at all I'm all I just don't want to go to a bar I realized I don't like going to bars (laughs) like I don't I'm not of I realized I'm just not a very social person naturally and I drank to become social, right. you know. From that first trip to Corvallis, I was an awkward-ass kid hanging out with these older dudes. And I drank not to be such a shy, awkward kid. And it, that's what sparked everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now I just realize what I really enjoy and what I don't.
0: dude i'm fucking proud of you oh thank you (laughs) You 100 percent. i saw the whole thing Mm -hmm. you know like i think you and i were talking about doing this when you were in the middle of kind of realizing you needed help yeah and you'd be like i i just i'm not ready i can't you know and then i you know me and ever saw our good friends and Mm -hmm. he told me about what was going on and then uh getting the updates and stuff and seeing how you're doing it's Mm -hmm. like the number one thing you always think is no regrets. Like yeah. I live my life to be who I am today. Yeah. I'm doing it differently now. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but you want to help out people. Yeah. And so it's a real slippery slope, you know? And I think sometimes just having these discussions and having people hear them, we're not preaching or just talking no, about it. And, and, and hopefully it can help somebody.
3: No, and and I'll even want to go out. I've been gone out of my way in a few situations since I've been since after rehab of like i don't have a problem with like i don't have a problem with people like i'm not here to sit on my pulpit and go like drinking's bad or drugs are bad like i don't think like that at all and i actually don't think drinking and drugs are the problem and i think that's part of the reason why people struggle like i need to quit drinking the drugs are the problem the drugs and the drug the drink have gotten a hold of me and i'm like it really needs to be, the focus, in my opinion, needs to be on emotional and mental health. Because mm. that's where it, it, it comes from. People don't just drink like a fish or do drugs just because, oh, it's fucking rad, I love it, and then I get addicted. It doesn't work like that. Right. They're medicating an issue, yeah. some sort of trauma, something. You don't hear a lot about that. They just instantly go, your problem is the addiction. Yeah, the, problem became, the addiction became the problem from this other problem. Yeah. Um but being being in rehab and hearing people talk and realizing that the I'm not saying everyone the majority of people that become addicts have serious issues like childhood shit. Oh. You know, like there's they have emotional or they have mental problems. It's some sort of emotional trauma. Right. Whether it's childhood, whether it's someone their father dying at a certain age whether it's being in a gnarly car accident whether it's from being a veteran there's a lot of veterans in there having war PTSD and growing up with a mother who beat the shit out of you is the same fucking thing you know living in fear your whole life mm-hmm. you know is going to war is you are living in fear you know sure. that's my take on it
0: has post uh rehab have you lost any friends has, has no. anything changed Mm-mm. everything's the same
3: yeah cuz i didn't really i didn't really hang out with a lot of people like partying like i said like yeah. i was home i i was still a dad and i worked on whatever whether i was doing house painting or whether i was out here shipping sloppy hour stuff or if i was making a painting for a show whatever i still had that i just have the drive to do things still even with being a raging alcoholic
0: Well, what's uh, 2022
3: got for you? We're almost Yeah, I'm just, being a single dad, decided a a few months ago that I'm going to try to just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to try to turn my art into a full-time career. I want to still skate while I can. Um, It's not going to be easy because, you know, art's hard, and I'm a dad that, you know, I have to make money, but... I just got to a point where either i was going to become a full-time house painter or i was going to do something else because i don't want to become a full-time house painter and i couldn't skate and make art and be a house painter so i'm just kind of i don't know if it'll work it will work out because you know i that's my new confidence that i've somehow found after rehab it take a while for me to figure out how it's all going to fall, fall out or work out. But, um, that's what I'm focused on.
0: Okay. I got unlimited budget. We can go anywhere we want with anyone we want. Where do we go with who for fucking the best skate trip of 2023?
3: Man, that's a hard question yeah i think i feel like I've, I've been on some trips i don't think they can get any better anyone with rhino and p-stone
0: what's the shit? 66 one one of your all-time
3: oh the first one yeah. the first one was rad but it ended fucked up because oh. i i wrecked the cadillac yeah. yeah but that one was still really good the first black label demo tour with mike v was fucking great because that was the first time i've been on a, a demo tour where it was like oh shit, I'm really doing this. Like it was like turnouts, you know, Mike V is a demo machine, like really doing it. Before it was like, ah, go to the demo, drink beer, whatever. I don't fucking care. Um, going to Australia with Black Label and DECA because that was big. It was like, I, I kind of made it later in life to where I was doing like what I watched all these other guys do where it was like, whoa, this is, this is real. This isn't just punk, skating, underground shit like how I rolled for years. Um, but any trip, some of those Black Label trips, when I was able to, like, pick the pick the crew, Chet, Rhino, Peastone, stone Alfaro. But lately I've been thinking it would be really cool to do, like, a trip from people from my generation, like, street skaters from my generation, you know, and, like, Go and do it again but everyone's like you know almost 50 kind of you know and like like markovich like i'm friends with markovich but i don't don't we're not like me and chet you know what i mean uh but it would be cool like the dudes that are still trying to do it i just think that would be a lot of fun
0: yeah like pastorists
3: yeah exactly um chet um you know and just get a, a good crew of dudes and go out and do it but we're all kind of in the same place right you know and um go out and you know you're not surrounded by a bunch of kids who are just killing it you know everyone's kind of on the somewhat of the same level and you're just reliving you know Mm. i think that would be fun that's what i'd like to do it doesn't matter where the only place i've ever been outside of the u.s where i was like that city was rad was leon oh yeah yeah
0: okay i've never been there we went to paris but Mm -hmm. Do you prefer a long car ride or a long, if it's a 10 hour car drive or a 10 hour flight?
3: 10 hour car ride any day. Yeah. I don't like to fly. I like to drive and I like to drive.
0: Have you thought about flying to Europe or somewhere far, like without any drinks?
3: I have thought about that. Um, Yeah, I haven't, I've only flown once without drinking. It was when I flew home from rehab. (laughs) Yeah. it's not, I, I think more of like, oh, it's going to suck to fly not being able to smoke. Oh. You know. Do you um, bring chewing tobacco? Or- I have never, I never have. I've never flown, well, I have flown without, I haven't flown anywhere far in a long time. Okay. Um, I flew last summer, I flew to St. Louis, but I was drinking, so it didn't matter that I didn't smoke. Yeah. And I wasn't really... I could go without smoking back then. I'm, I'm like a new smoker, huh? and now I'm a vapor.
2: <laughs> but now I'm
3: to the point now where I'm like, I really could use a vape right now. Uh, okay. but, uh, um, but it's better than drinking, so
0: sure.
3: someday I'll deal with that. But right now, as long as I'm not drinking, I that's, that's all I care about.
0: I was driving down here and I'm thinking to myself, what's your favorite Johnny Cash cover song?
3: someone that covered Johnny Cash. Oh.
0: No. Remember Johnny Cash had like a double album. He covered a bunch of people, like uh nine inch nails to
3: Oh when he did those ones? Yeah. Um well the nine inch nails one was good. Hurt, right? Yeah. But I think what I like the one I liked best just because I'm such a Joe Strummer ah. fan is he did um he he did a like he sang he did Redemption song with Joe Strummer which that, that's pretty fucking cool.
0: Did you think about a song that you'd want to end the thing with?
3: We can end it with anything?
0: Yeah. Well, think about it. I was wondering, do you have any other things you want? Do you have any shout outs or any people you want to thank or anything like that?
3: I could go on for days. I I mean, really, we're kind of left on that subject. I I really can't thank everyone who rallied to help me get to rehab. And um which is I don't even know him, it was like hundreds of people. Um
0: was it a Kickstarter, right?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Something like that. Right. And uh and you know, I I'm sure a lot of people were like, What the hell does Jason Adams need my money for? But you know, no one realizes just because you have a name on a board. We were talking about this. Just because you have a name on your board and a pair of wheels or something doesn't really mean you you make money. And it's not only the money, it's like like I, I told you how I don't go to rehab, I don't go to AA. And I understand the importance of AA because people need support. And I realized in rehab how blessed I am with my family, my friends, and then skateboarding who all rallied to support me. And now to this day, that's a big factor to keep me from drinking if i if i drank again not only am i letting myself down my family down i'm letting down all those people who rallied for me to go to rehab so it's kind of like why people go to AA. they need a, the surroundings they need people i happen to have a great family great friends and skateboarding to lean on and so that's really who i would like to thank the most
0: again skateboarding mm-hmm. fucking comes through yeah t- it's insane I see that I was talking to Neen uh yesterday actually and he's been he cleaned up and he's doing a lot of the exercise mm-hmm. stuff and I'm just like looking at Andy Roy perfect yeah. example like Fred Gall there's mm-hmm. a lot of dudes that have been like at the top of their class in mm-hmm. partying that aren't doing it anymore a, it's a rad example that you can do it if yeah. you really want to. But B, the brotherhood that we have of support is next to none, really. It feels yeah. like, dude, I got your back, and you know that. Yeah. When absolutely. When you're ready, I'm here. Yeah. And I think the message for me has always been that I can't do it for you. But when you want to do it, I can help you. Absolutely. Do it. So, fucking big love on all that stuff. Yeah, dude. for sure. It's it's inspo for people and it's also just continuing your journey. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I told you before we started this, like I'm excited to see like what that means. Yeah. Like what kind of art's gonna come out, what mm-hmm. kind of skating's gonna come out, what outside of that's gonna come out, like all of a sudden you're playing banjo? Like Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, who knows? I
3: know, I'm <laughs> I'm excited to see too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fuck, I'm stoked. I think we this was really cool for me.
3: Cool. It's cool for me, too.
0: i fucking, um, yeah, I'm thinking you, you're going to put a class song on or maybe a Dolly Parton. I don't know.
3: No, actually, I want to put a Depeche Mode song on. Okay. Thank but you. not tonight. Yeah. That's what I want. Depeche Mode, but not tonight.
0: Perfect. Dude, thanks so much. Thank you. This has been epic. It's going to be one of those ones that I look at and I'm like, yeah, we recorded that. I can remember this for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheers, dude.
3: Yeah. Thanks, mate.
4: where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa.
3: Shout out.
1: Love
4: it! This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.
3: Keep the wheels greased.